0: Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent number one self-proclaimed podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the American Wrestling Association. If you are watching, thank you so much. On the screen, you can see I am Chris Tubbs, and I am the one that does this part of the talking, but I don't do all the talking. There are two other people that like to talk. One of them talked for a living. The other one uh he's more of a behind the camera but we forced him in front of the camera for this polish show and mccarch and guys uh, another uh, another fun podcast coming up today another another good show kind of a piggyback off of last week
1: we're gonna take a look at some of the guys that normally aren't looked at uh you know they're they're distant memories for some fans and uh complete unknowns for other fans But we're going to give the the devils their due, the mid-card guys of the 1980s. And, uh, you know, when we look at that list, Joe, I know you and I were talking about it. You look at the list, some of the guys were stars before the 80s, came in here as mid-card guys. Some of them came in as mid-card, went on to great success. So the
2: world of wrestling. Very unique. And when I saw the list of names, it brought back so many memories because the 80s was, that was my time. In the AWA, and I worked with every single one of these gentlemen during my tenure with the AWA. So I'm really looking forward to this show. Should be fun. Yeah.
0: All right, before we uh, before we get going, let's go ahead and you know, guys, we got to take care of the uh, got to take care of the the uh, businesses, they would say. Uh, first of all, you see up in the corner, you see Soda Stick. Want to thank them for being the official merchandise sponsor of AWA Unleashed. Uh, right now, they, they've got the uh, t shirt They've reopened the window for the hoodies because the hoodies have been sold out. I talked to them. They've uh, they've reopened the window. So if you're looking for a hoodie, uh, go ahead and go to sodastickco.com, and uh, you can head to AWA Unleashed. Just click it. And uh, remember, they they run a little bit snug. If you're looking at the hoodie, so size up one, maybe two, if you feel like you're going to add a little bit more padding. You know, some of us have a little bit extra pudding, as they would say. And uh, I know, I don't know what you were looking down at, Mick, but I'm going to let that one go. Uh, Your shoelace. Okay. That's, we'll call it a shoelace.
2: I'm surprised you could see it. Are we
1: going to do a show today or are you guys going to screw
2: around? What are we recording? What? Yes, I, I, oh. I, I, might
0: be, I might be the only one. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. <laughs> uh, also want to thank Seventh uh, Avenue Pizza, you guys, and uh, want to thank them on a couple of different uh, couple of different fronts. Number one, uh, I know that I've heard that there are some places that have, you know, they've sold out and they're looking at restocking. Uh, I know, especially maybe up in the uh, Duluth Superior area. Uh, but if you're outstate and you're having a problem finding it, let me know. Hit me up in the comments. Hit me up on uh, Twitter, my Twitter handle, um, 7thAvenuePizza.com. By the way, let me let me say this. If you have not had 7th Avenue Pizza, uh, there might be an opportunity for you to enjoy some pizza. Uh, yeah, I, I know. There, there There will be an opportunity for you to have some pizza. That's all
2: I'm going to say. You know, you know what I love to have for pizza, my favorite time? It's, it's after dark.
0: I do like to have it after dark. Uh, yes. And uh, I, I don't want to see you in the dark, but I could see you guys after dark because we could eat pizza after dark. And, um, and you know what?
1: If you're going to have pizza after dark, have it with a bunch of friends
2: you know what i'm saying that what a way to have pizza best way best way in the meantime let's enlighten people with uh, some 80s mid-card people let's uh let's do it so today uh yeah what exactly
0: um before we get to it guys th- these mid-card guy you talked about you know they were maybe guys that were here but necessarily weren't the big stars and you'll notice some of these names went on to become pretty big stars in other territories. But before we get to that, uh, Mick, I know that there's uh, an acknowledgement that you want to go ahead and make before we get going.
1: Yeah. Uh, Terry Mahalik, uh, was a, a tremendous photographer lived up in Winnipeg and he shot pictures for the AWA for decades and decades going back to the 1970s, I think late, late 1960s. Um, very instrumental in the Canadian wrestling scene as well. Uh, just a, uh, he did everything for promotions, but his his main wheelhouse was the photography, and he did a great job. And Terry passed away this uh, this past week at the age of 76. Apparently, uh, nobody knew uh, how sick Terry actually was. Was battling cancer for a while. Great guy, great friend, and another one of the old guard is gone. And Godspeed. Safe travels, Terry.
2: Wow. Time, time just does it to us, doesn't it? Oh,
1: man. Yeah, it's awful.
0: Life awful. is precious. If that's yeah. one thing we've realized, life is precious. Take advantage of every opportunity and cherish every minute with you your loved ones. Enjoy life because you only get one. Make the most out of it. And that's why are. I think that's one of the reasons why we're doing the podcast because we want to make the most... Uh, out of our time doing something that we all enjoy, and that's talking about the AWA. You guys were, you know, were part of it. I watched it from afar on uh, what the kids would call the uh, the television. Um, but uh, the lucky, boob tube. The boob tube. You can look down when they say boob, Mick. No. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. shoelace uh <laughs> By the way, <laughs> okay. You know what? I'll ask about the cat later. Uh, Let's get into the first name here. And this is one that people are going to recognize, and that is Dizzy Ed Boulder.
1: Dizzy Ed Boulder came into the AWA for a very short stint uh, in the early 1980s. And coincidentally, he came in uh, on the coattails or the shoelaces of the incredible Hulk Hogan, And there is Dizzy Ed Boulder. And, of course, ladies and gentlemen, he went on to fame and acclaim as Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, Once he ventured into the uh, WWF territory. Uh, Talk about a guy with a million different gimmicks over the years. Uh, Whether it was in WCW, AWA, WWF. Uh, you know, and and God bless him. You know, he had a disastrous accident uh, several years ago. Par- a a parasailer crashed into him while Ed was on the beach, caught him right in the throat, shattered his face. They had to put pins in his face, which he still has. Uh, he's come back from that to make personal appearances and uh, quite a career for Dizzy Ed Boulder, Ed Leslie, a.k.a. Brutus the Barber Beefcake.
2: Never had the fortune of working with him. However, saw plenty of him. I, I saw him. Maybe not plenty of is the way to go, but he was a part of what I would probably consider to be the most successful AWA show, and that was Super Sunday. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I I, I don't think anybody could argue, but that could be a whole other show talking about Super Sunday. But, yes, Brutus the Barber, Dizzy Ed Boulder was a part of Super Sunday with the AWA, a young, um, well-put-together young man. But, um, yeah. You know, there was
1: always the rumor, are are he and Hogan Brothers – and no, they were not brothers. They were uh, good friends in the Tampa area, and that was about it. But of course, they wrestle as the as the Boulder Brothers, Terry and Ed. And uh, then all of a sudden, boom! You got a, You got a guy with uh, barber shears. So uh, the world of wrestling. Well, he does. He
0: does look like a beefcake. So I, I mean, it just it fits. Well, those. maybe you know, Hey, I'm just saying what the kids would say. Like, right? that's the word on the street is that's how he got the name beefcake because he's a beefcake.
1: Well, the what? word beefcake. on the street. The word on
0: the street, yes. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the uh, the next one. And here's one that uh, I remember also had a, a brief run with uh, Kern heading in another organization, but uh, the one and only John
2: Tolos.
1: You know, this is an interesting case, and and this is one of those situations where a guy came into the AWA towards the end of his in-ring career. John Tolis himself, a wrestling legend, absolutely bonafide real deal. Uh, He and his brother Chris were a tremendous tag team back in the day. John Tolis, a singles wrestler, had a tremendous feud for years with Freddie Blassie, Classy Freddie Blassie out in the California area. John came into the AWA in their arguably best year. I believe 1982, John came in. Uh, He was a mid-card guy at best. Uh, Unfortunately, his best years were way behind him. And and as you said, Chris, when he left the AWA after a very short run, uh, he went into the WWF with Kurt Hennig. And uh, not as a wrestler role, uh, as a coach, and that didn't pan out too well either. But in uh, wrestling history, John Tolis, yes, ladies and gentlemen, he wrestled mm-hmm. here, uh, in the, in the 1980s as a mid-card guy. Very, very short cup of coffee, in and out.
2: One thing I remember about John was that he loved to <laughs> talk, he oh. couldn't. He could talk and he did it often. In fact, after the WWF, maybe it wasn't immediately after him. I'm not an authority on the time and the history, but I do know that because uh, I've had access to the UWF library, but John Tolos was a part of the UWF with yep. Herb Abrams. And Mick, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he go by the moniker, the Golden Greek? Yes, he certainly did. And uh... he did. And again, I,
1: I can't emphasize enough for fans who don't know just how big John Tolos was in this business. I mean, he was a megastar. And we had him for a very short run here in the early 1980s.
0: Yeah, I don't remember much of John Tolos. I kind of I, I remember him from the coach gimmick when he was working with Mr. Perfect. So I really didn't get a chance to see the prime of of John Tolos, but you guys are. You know, you guys are are painting him in a different picture than I think uh, a lot of fans might remember just kind of the the brief, you know, here and and then gone in WWF. Uh, By the way, do want to uh, tell you guys that uh, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, That's the best way to catch the program. And it's it's one of the ways to help us grow. I mean, honestly, the way that we continue to grow is by the support with you guys. Click the subscribe button. You're going to get access to all of the podcasts and even special announcements. Again, we pretty much just all but told you what's happening in the very near future without actually acknowledging pizza and After Dark. The way that you're going to find out, you're going to get first about that, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And also, I mean, we love Spotify, You know, I, you know, know, I, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever. So just wanted to get that quick plug out there. Okay, breathe. The next one, we remember him as a different name, but when you know the name, I'm going to tell you, and people are going to know this individual, we won't tell you the gimmick, Leon White.
1: Leon White, who uh, in the AWA, he was the baby bull, he was bull power. Uh, Leon White, mid-1980s, and of course... When he left the AWA, as happens quite often, it exploded for him, not only on a national level, but on the worldwide stage, especially in Japan. And that, of course, is Leon there, who became Big Van Vader. And what a success story. Yeah, there you go. What a success story uh, for Leon. He was okay in the AWA. He was a big, tough Uh, No-nonsense babyface, had a pretty good mid-card push. Uh, I don't remember him main eventing too many matches, but I'll tell you what, once he left the area, it's legendary. Uh, Everything with the late Van Vader, Leon White, was big and tough and rugged and over the top. And uh, just another great success story for a guy who got his feet wet here in the AWA about the same time Scott Hall did, actually, and then went on to absolutely – Megastar success all over the world.
2: I remember Leon coming into the AWA, uh, a former NFL football player. He came in at the same time as another guy who I don't believe he went on to do anything, but uh, Greg Boyd. But when those two came into the office, they were massive. Just big, more thick human oh, wow. beings than tall. They, they weren't Andre the Giant tall or, you know, six foot eight, but they were just massive thick guys. And uh, one of the things I do remember about Leon is I, I was, <laughs> when I would watch him wrestle and get the feedback from the boys in the locker room, um, it's like Leon carried his, NFL career into professional wrestling. Uh, and what I mean by that is he just liked to hit people and he did have a reputation of being a little stiff in the ring. Um, he could take it and he could certainly Dish it out, but no doubt about it. Leon White became Van Vader and the legend grew from there. Uh, definitely made his mark in professional wrestling. And it all started with the AWA. So times it does. Yes.
0: So let me kind of follow up with that, Joe. Uh, you know, when you said he came from the NFL, he kind of wanted to bring that with him from what you would hear with the boys did you ever get the sense that he had to prove himself with this toughness? Because that's something that we hear, you know, time and time and time again, just how physical and how stiff and heavy he could be in the ring.
2: Um, initially, maybe, but that reputation carried on throughout his career. Uh, so I don't know that it was so much that he felt he needed to prove anything. I, I mean, Leon was a huge guy. Yeah. And there's plenty of huge guys in the business who, when they hit you, it felt like a feather. But when Leon did it, it felt like you got hit by a bull. Um, he That's just his – that was just his style. And if you were booked against him, you knew you are going to come in feeling it after the match. I believe a, a couple of
1: uh, footnotes to Leon. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was Stan Hansen that uh, – got into it with Leon in one of the matches and, and literally Leon's eyeball uh, was hanging out of the, out of the socket at the end of the match. And then also I think the legend of Leon kind of took a little bit of hit in the locker room in WCW uh, courtesy of mm. Paul Orndorff uh, over the years. But uh, nonetheless uh, in the AWA, again, this show is all about mid card guys and yes, ladies and gentlemen, We've said it many times. The AWA has been a springboard for superstars. Leon White Vader was certainly one of them.
0: I could have set that up by saying, "It's time. It's time <laughs> to talk about." It. But I didn't. But I didn't do it. I also could have. I also could have said that. You know, no, nah, never mind. I'll I'll tell you this one off because I, I don't. I don't want to make anybody mad. But there's something I could have. I. It was sitting right there, and I just decided. Not to not to, to say anything. Nah. Uh, how, <laughs> how about uh, the next one? Uh, J.T. Southern.
1: Oh. J.T. Southern and, and Joe and I had the uh, the opportunity uh, to work with J.T. Southern in the waning days of the A.W.A. J.T. Uh, did much better in the southern United States, actually, than he did here in the A.W.A. Uh, he came in during those, well, he, he, could, he
0: could have called himself JT Northern and it would have been fine up here. He, he could had have ch- ch- changed the gimmick to the region.
1: You know what? A, a million dollar idea like that. And, and, you know, <laughs> you're sitting behind the microphone.
0: I know, but, right?
1: But JT Southern, um, came in at the same time that DJ Peterson was here. So it was kind of alphabet soup, JT Southern, DJ Peterson, um, DJ Peterson was a heck of a lot better than JT Southern was. And and JT did not last all that long in the AWA. And Joe, it was at that infamous Whitewater taping. They were doing a battle royal. And I'm sitting behind Rod Trongard and Vern Gagne as they're doing the commentary. And in the middle of this battle royal, where it's supposed to be high spots all over the place, I don't know if JCT Southern put a guy in a drop toe hold or a side headlock takeover or something, but Vern gritting his teeth said, and you know, he's fired. He's fired, the man is fired, he'll never and I thought, oh my God. In post, Joe and Alvin DeRusha are gonna have their hands full. But I don't think JT was around surprisingly much much after that. What happened?
2: Well, let's cover Whitewater first, and we have many times. (laughs) And this is nothing against the city of Whitewater. No,
1: no, no. Love
2: Whitewater. But nothing good came out of that taping. It is without question the absolute worst production I have ever been involved with. You know, I so
0: want to do a watch-along with the white water taping. I so want to do a watch-along with that.
2: So if we, anybody
0: can get the tape, I want to do a watch-along.
2: I'm going to have to put on my dark sunglasses, but really paint them on the inside so I can't <laughs> see it again, because I'm going to have PTSD from it. But back to JT Southern. So, um, rick you're right. JT's in-ring abilities were certainly questionable. I, I will give him credit. I did like his promos. He could do a decent job on the mic. Um, but the other thing um, that I would like to take credit for is that when DJ Peterson and JT Southern tag team together, I was the one that came up with their tag team name, Initial Shock.
1: That is the best part of that tag team.
2: <laughs> well, <that laughs> the
1: name uh, that you gave him. Yeah, no, oh J.T. I got nothing G- against DJ. And J.T. was a nice guy. He
2: yes. was. Yeah. You know? No, no you're, you're right. I mean, both DJ and J.T., very nice. Uh, he, he just wasn't a polished, accomplished, professional wrestler.
1: Mid-card guy in the AWA about 1987, 1988. The legend that is J.T. Southern.
0: I, I'm so I, I cannot get this vision of a big battle royal going on and somebody applying like a drop toe hold in the middle of the ring like yeah, it was in my, in my mind in yeah, my it, mind it, it's
1: just it, it's all of a sudden you got like a scientific uh, sixty minute Iron Man match so you went off went off rogue on your own there you know amongst the other eighteen guys. <laughs> So uh, it, not a good thing. And like I say, I have a feeling that JT's uh, bag was packed pretty quickly after that Whitewater event.
0: Let me say it. It, just, it sounds like you're playing a video game and you hit the wrong button and you're trying to, like, punch and kick. And all of a sudden you're, like, just jumping in the middle of the ring.
1: And... It's the story of my life. But go ahead with the next guy.
0: Let's go with uh, <laughs> someone that we know, uh, both he and his brother, uh, Rob Recksteiner.
1: Rob Recksteiner. Again, you talk about a guy who exploded on the national scene. And, you know, I don't even have to tell you who he is. You get the last name Recksteiner and uh, you, you, you put two and two together. Uh, the dog-faced gremlin, Rick Steiner, uh, Rob Recksteiner, he and his brother Scott, two tremendous amateur wrestlers from the University of Michigan, uh, when he came into the AWA, this is the mid1980s about the time that Vern was kind of venturing into that pro wrestling USA concept and a little bit beyond that, a uh, mid card guy showed a lot of potential but again, boom, a couple of years later, here he is on national on the national stage uh, working with WCW as part of the Steiner Brothers, one of the legitimate tough guys. And that is for real in the history of wrestling business. But again, got that uh, springboard here in the AWA.
2: Well, it's it's tough to say that a successful, legitimate amateur wrestler who's had quite a bit of success there is not a tough guy. Yeah, Um, I've long said um, you 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 don't mess (laughs) you don't mess with a wrestler. And in this in this case, an amateur wrestler because they will tie you up like a pretzel before you're able to put the extra cheese on it. Um, the the Steiner brothers, they uh, they came in. They were in for about I want to say it was either two or three interview days, but not really pushed much here. Um, sadly, um, I don't know that they would have stayed, knowing that that the direction the AWA was...
0: Why do you you feel that they weren't pushed? Because those, I mean, college athletes and especially wrestlers seem like that would have been right up Vern's alley.
2: They they came in when it was still... There was still a pretty decent stable of talent with the AWA here. And I don't know that it was so much that Vern wasn't pushing them, but I have to add in, I think it was a combination of maybe them not wanting to be here and that they were just, they, they, they were here. They came in. I mean, the AWA was on ESPN, but WCW came calling and gave them a much better opportunity. And they definitely took advantage of it. Um, Fantastic tag team in the world of professional wrestling.
1: Chris, one thing I would say to that, too, is the time frame they came in and the AWA was doing that Pro Wrestling USA, there were a lot of guys that were coming in and out. I mean, Vern was throwing anything at the wall to see if it was stick. So I think that the Steiner brothers okay. probably got caught up in that a little bit. And okay. I had heard that Ole was pretty impressed with both of the Steiner brothers. So, you know, everything came to fruition for them, and I'm sure they don't regret one minute of it.
0: No. Well, I yeah, I, I was just curious. But yeah, when you've got an influx of guys and you're just trying to fill these shows, I mean, naturally, you, you're probably going to let a few guys go through. You, you look back, you're like, damn, yeah, those guys were legit. But they get overlooked because you're just trying to like, it seemed like literally you're just trying to keep the vote from not sinking.
1: Well, and who knew, you know, it's, yeah, it's so well, exactly. who with Leon White, you know, these yeah. guys all of a sudden just explode when they go someplace else. So uh, again, the Steiner brothers had a chance to interview them one time at Met Center. Great guys, funny as hell. And uh, mm-hmm. Rich Steiner, certainly a tough guy.
0: And his uh, son doing uh, okay from what I hear as well?
1: I believe he is, yes. All
0: right. Uh, Braun Breaker, by the way, uh, the NXT champion in uh, WWE. All right. Uh, let's get to the next one, uh, the Mongolian Stomper.
1: Here's another guy. The Mongolian Stomper, by the time he came into the AWA, he had about 30 years behind him in the wrestling business. And he was a major superstar. And that's the late Archie Goldie. Uh, the Mongolian wrestler <coughs> wrestled everywhere. He wrestled literally all over the country and into Japan, and he came in as part of Sheikh Adnan LKC's Casey's army uh, back towards the end of the uh, the glory days of the AWA, along with uh, with John Nord and Boris Zukov and guys like this. Again, by that time, uh, Mongolian Stomper's best days were behind him. But he was a consummate heel. I mean, talk about a, you know, your legitimate, no nonsense, straight ahead eye gouge, kick to the groin, uh, tough guy. Wound up after he became after he left professional wrestling. I believe he was a sheriff uh, down in the southern part of the United States. And you know, if this guy pulls you over going 32 and a 30, you better kiss his ass. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, Archie Goldie, again, legendary in wrestling and in Japan, big superstar, cup of coffee in the AWA. Uh,
2: I was surprised. I did not know that he became, he went into law enforcement after his right. wrestling career. Um, What's su- What surprises me about that is he was really, sort of quiet and kept to himself when he was with the AWA. On interview days, he wasn't uh, boisterous like a, a Buddy Rose or, or heck, I can name 20 other guys. Sure. Archie just went in there and did a shtick. He never talked on a promo with the AWA. He would come out there. He had his little uh, spring that he would, you know, continue to do his uh, on-camera workout on. And he was put together, even though he was at the end of his career. Archie was solid. He sure was. Too. Just very solid. So, uh, But very nice guy, just very quiet, kept to himself, did his job, took his payday, and apparently went on to <laughs> into law enforcement. But, yeah, fantastic overall career.
1: No doubt. No doubt about it.
2: All
0: right, let's get to the uh, the next one, guys. Nick Kaniski.
1: Nick Kaniski. God, I love Nick Kineski. Um, I don't know how long Nick lasted in the wrestling business. Joe, maybe you know better than I do. Uh, but he came in, of course, in the AWA when I was there in 1987. He teamed up with Mr. Magnificent Kevin Kelly. And they had a pretty decent run as a tag team. They were managed by Medusa Michelli. An old, slick Nick Koniski, uh, a great kid. He was a pretty young guy at the time. He, of course, is the son of the legendary Gene Kaniski. And, uh, again, ESPN, AWA, Showboat Days, great springboard, potentially for somebody in the wrestling business. But then it kind of flatlined for Nick Kineski. And The one thing that I remember about Nick, boy, we would catch those 7 a.m. flights back to Minneapolis the next day. And Nick had been up, let's say, a little bit into the wee hours of the morning. Yeah, well, no, I, I know that doesn't happen. And, you know, and and Nick would kind of stumble and find his seat, you know, on the, uh, on the airplane. Uh, generally, it was sitting next to Medusa. And uh, that was about it. He didn't remember anything until he got to Minneapolis. But uh, Nick, I believe, went into the restaurant business uh, up in Canada. Saw a picture of him just recently. Great guy, great memories, and I liked the tag team of uh, kaniski and Kelly.
2: I did. One thing that I remember about Nick is uh, I, I don't think he liked to do promos. He went out there, Medusa, and uh, their and his partner, Mister Magnificent, Kevin Kelly, would take care of it. Nick, it just wasn't his forte. I think he saw that little red light and became. <laughs> Uh, uh, camera shy and and mesmerized by the light and then forgot what he was supposed to say. Uh, I don't know that that was his downfall, Um, but yeah, he not good on the mic, feel pretty decent inside the ring. And I agree with you, Mick. I, I like that tag team combination. And I believe if I'm remembering correctly, that that would have been Medusa's first foray into being a manager. Was being their manageress, which that comes from Precious and gorgeous Jimmy Gardner called them the manager, called her the manageress. But no, Nick Kaniski, Mid Carter, might have had some potential if he could do a promo, but that was not to be. Spot on. Well, let's say,
0: I I know that. You know we're going to jump around because you guys were just mentioning him. Uh, let's talk about the other half of that tag team equation the magnificent Mr. Magnificent Kevin Kelly.
1: All right, well, there's I mean, legit- we, know, we,
0: we know, yeah, we know what happened later on, but yeah, we, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, you know, this you'll, and if you don't know, we'll put up a picture and uh, you will recognize him. If you do not,
1: there are legit. Tough guys in the business. And then there are tough, tough, tough guys in the business. And Kevin Walkholtz, Kevin Kelly, Mr. Would Magnificent you, would was Would you wonderful. say
0: he's tough as nails?
1: Tough as oh, I see what you did there. You, man, no wonder they pay you that six-figure salary. Kevin Kelly, Mr. Magnificent, he was a, I believe he won a tough man contest in the state of Minnesota, and with good reason. He was a no-nonsense guy. Uh, just ask Vince McMahon how much mm-hmm. of a no-nonsense guy he was, especially at contract time. Uh, Kevin, along with Nick Kaniski, here in the AWA, that's when Kevin established himself as a main event type guy was when he teamed up with uh, Nick Kaniski. Prior to that, he was a mid-card guy, again, in the AWA. And in 1987, Vern again is kind of, Mixing and matching, seeing what's going to work to elevate some of the mid-card talent to uh, upper status. Uh, Kevin was so no-nonsense. I worked an AWF Warriors of Wrestling taping with him in Chicago in the late 90s. And I remember this to this day. I don't remember who the guy was that he was wrestling. Kevin tossed him outside the ring. The guy's on all fours. Kevin goes about 30 feet away and picks up a bar stool and throws it at this guy, baseball style, from 30 feet away and hit the poor guy right in the noggin as he's getting up from all fours. And I just thought, my God, this son of a bitch is out of his mind. And he was, and I'm glad to say I was on his good side.
2: Kevin would uh, often... I shouldn't say often, but on more than one occasion is a better way to put it. Uh, felt like he, when he was in the ring or in a match, if something, you know, the the, the guy <laughs> missed the spot or maybe potatoed him a little bit. Um, Kevin went back to the Minnesota tough man mentality. And Mick's story was uh, uh, indicative of that. Definitely a, a, a badass. He was put together solid as a rock all um, right on the mic but there's a reason that they put Medusa with them even though she was just in green in the business herself um, they needed uh, th- they needed a, a microphone um, for somebody to talk and that was Medusa Kevin was better than Nick on the mic um, yeah but you know still, Nothing spectacular, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, he's actually now in his later years. Uh, Kevin has actually become pretty successful in the construction business, and is uh, really just distanced himself from professional wrestling. I know of a couple of guys who've tried to get him for a yeah. uh, a meet and greet or a, a virtual meet and greet, and uh, he just he wants nothing to do with it. Nope, nope. It's a chapter in his life that he would just not, rather not read again. There we go.
0: All right, let's get to the uh, the next one, guys. This is an individual that uh, he was actually honored at the AWA reunion uh, last year, and this is the Wild Alaskan, Rick Renslow.
1: Rick Renslow deserved much better in the business than, we, than he got. And, you know, I have talked about Rick, about the kind of a guy he was, Stand-up guy, uh, to be sure. He was, uh, again, one of these mainstays on AWA TV that made it to the, as they call them, the house shows at the uh, Civic Center or the Auditorium. Teamed up with Dave Wagner uh, for a little while here in the state of Minnesota. They wrestled as the Wild Alaskans. And uh, Rick, later on in his career, uh, when he owned a trucking company, Renslow Trucking, in, uh, in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, Rick would come out and he would wrestle as Big Bad Trucker Daddy. And he finished his career here on the independent scene as a babyface. Uh, but from a technical standpoint, old school standpoint, Rick Renslow was everything a heel should be. From turning to the fans and saying, shut your mouth when they weren't saying a word, which of course would ignite them and get them all aggravated to the thumb and the eye, to the, you know, he's pulling my hair whatever. I loved Rick Renslow, not only as a competitor, but as an individual. And I think he, he deserved more than he got in the business.
2: I, I would say that that tag team did. I remember watching them come out as the wild Alaskans and I'm like, Hey, this is sort of a cool gimmick. Of course it was a squash match because it was on uh, all-star wrestling from the TV studio, but Mick, you hit it on the head. Rick Renslow, as a person, oh. as nice of a guy uh, as I've worked with in the industry, um, his old school approach, as you talked about, he would, and this is what a lot of, shall we say, today's wrestlers. I mean that you know that that includes from the '90s to now, but a lot of the guys don't know how to work the crowd. And, and acknowledge them. they come out, they're their badass self and they think that that's enough to get heat on you. It's not. You need to draw in the audience by telling them to shut up by by their, you know if they're yelling hey he's pulling his hair. not just let go and talk to the referee, react mm-hmm. to the crowd. and that is what Rick Renslow was able to do very successfully. I think he should have gotten a bigger push. If he, would have, if he was around maybe 10 years earlier, he might have gotten it. But by the time that the 80s rolled around, the era of the Hulk Hogan's and the Road Warriors and the bodybuilders came in. And Rick was not a physical <laughs> specimen, but he knew how to be a professional wrestler.
0: Let's go to the next one. This might be my favorite wrestling name of all time. If there is the quintessential wrestling name, I don't know if you can think of a one that's better than Tommy Jammer.
1: Well, he did have that going for him. Uh, Tommy Jammer, I love the guy. Uh, Tom Walsh, I believe he was uh, from the Twin Cities metro area here. Uh, Tommy worked extensively in Eddie Sharkey's PWA, and then, of course, when Vern was was kind of uh, looking around for talent to supplement the guys that had left, uh, he went to Tommy Jammer. They, they call him the California Kid uh, in the AWA. He came into the ring, uh, you know, with the with the surfboard or with the skateboard, and <clears throat> he he did very well for himself as kind of your typical, you know, surfing. You know, milk toast baby face. Um, he's another one of those guys, Joe. Maybe 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, might have been a better wheelhouse for him. But by that time, you know, Tommy Jerry, he was relegated. He, he did some, you know, pretty high profile matches. But nonetheless, uh, at, at very best, Tommy was a mid card guy in the AWA and a personal friend of mine. Love the guy, nice kid, but one of those uh, asterisks in the, uh, the footnotes of the AWA.
2: Yeah. Would he have made it if it was in a different era? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, well, look or, at it
1: this way. I, better him than that rock and roll guy.
2: Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, Tommy, great-looking kid. Good-looking kid. Put together. Um, could actually work pretty well in the yeah. ring as well. Um, who is it? Oh, um God, who, is, who did he tag team with at the end here? Um, he was oh. a little bit shorter. He had darker hair. Oh, yeah. oh, it's driving me crazy. Uh, maybe oh, the fans yeah. will know. But anyway, um, Tommy. I, did he ever cut a promo? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was trying to get into in a very polite way. Uh, Another one of those guys who just, he was like a deer in the headlights when it came to cutting a promo. Um, Tommy just, he he just couldn't, he he just couldn't. He just couldn't. And coming in when he did at the end of the AWA, I mean, there's no place to grow, no place to to advance and I'm not sure I don't recall him doing anything on any larger stage after the AWA. Um, and there was a reason for that. And uh, he just couldn't cut a promo. And you know what, having said that, Mick, maybe if he came around in the seventies, he could have been hidden, maybe given a manager and just done his uh, shtick in the ring. But that wasn't the case when he was with the AWA and, uh, yeah, again, mid Carter, great-looking guy, Ed, just wasn't going to do it.
1: Blip on the radar.
2: Hmm. Yep. Speaking of uh, blips,
0: something that is not a blip, a little bit bigger, is an earthquake, and I'm referring to Earthquake Ferris.
1: Earthquake Ferris. Ferris Anthony, um, great guy, and he had a cult following. You know, he he was never elevated. Look at him. Look at him there. (laughs) How can you not love this guy? Um, He was never elevated beyond mid-card status in the AWA. Uh, Lived out in the California area. That's why they gave him the name Earthquake uh, Ferris Anthony. When he got out of wrestling, uh, he became, I believe, a teacher and a coach either at a uh, junior college or a high school out in that same area, out in the uh, the San Francisco area. That's what he's doing today. But, again, one of these guys, just lovable, whether he was doing the the baby face or the heel roll, Earthquake Ferris became a cult hero.
2: And he deserved it. It, (laughs) it, It's real easy to say that somebody is a nice guy. Earthquake Ferris was as nice of a human being as I have worked with in professional wrestling. The kid was hungry. He wanted to be a professional wrestler. Uh, He he took uh, uh, abuse for his being a little bit uh, overweight, which... Surprised me in the industry because there's a lot of guys that were, but I think he was an easy target because he was a new kid, just came in. They weren't gonna do that to Jerry Blackwell. Right, right. They weren't gonna do that to Playboy (laughs) Buddy Rose, who weighed 270, I mean 17 pounds. But earthquake was that was part of his initiation, sadly. Uh he got he got fat shamed uh in the early days of the AWA. Um, but, yeah, I in fact, within about the last year, I just be, um, uh, saw him on uh, Facebook and be, uh, became friends with him on Facebook. I uh, haven't reached out to him or anything, but he is still a teacher, uh, loves what he does. And, uh, Ferris, I've got nothing bad to say about you, Guy. I was going to say kid, but he's no longer a kid, as, well, none of us are either. But, yeah. Earthquake Ferris, uh, an up-and-coming star whose uh, whose shine just never happened, unfortunately.
0: Uh, let's go with the uh, next one, guys. Uh, T. Joe Khan.
1: Oh, as Eddie Sharkey would say, what a tormented individual. Uh, <laughs> T. Joe was something else again. Uh, you know, Minneapolis native. Uh, T. Joe was relegated to mid-card status. Again, there's your consummate wrestling heel right there. Uh, T. Joe Khan, there's your prototype. Uh, he had tremendous success in other parts of the country, <coughs> wrestled in the southern part of the United States, Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, where he actually had a feud with Tom Zink, if I remember correctly. Here in the AWA, he teamed up with Soldat Ustinov. Uh, for a while. Uh, T. Joe passed away uh, just a couple of years ago. Had him on SNR a couple of times. What a great guy. And again, his real-life persona kind of belied the on-screen gimmick. Pretty soft-spoken guy when you had a chance to talk to him. But uh, I love T. Joe Codd. One of those names, you know, here he is. He's here today, gone tomorrow, but uh, just love the guy.
2: Mick, you're right. Very humble, very quiet. (laughs) When he came on, when that camera was on, uh, unlike some of the other guys we mentioned before, he shined. He wouldn't talk, but just his look and his presence. And like we had in that photo, just his eyes. The first first time that I saw him do a promo, I'm like, whoa, okay, this guy's psycho. Yeah, he played a great cycle. That was his shtick. There it is, and he played it well. Love the gimmick. Great guy, quiet uh, outside of it, maybe not quiet as much as just very, very different and subdued from what you saw. Oh, in- that's
1: yeah. the explanation. There you go. All
2: right, The the next
0: two guys, I don't know if they really need any explanation. Uh, they're known on several different levels. Uh, they're uh, they're a little bit nasty, would you say, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags?
1: Isn't that something? You know, we, we put up a picture like that, and fans who don't know, they'll say, wait a minute, these guys were never – yes, they were. They were mid-card guys when they started out in the AWA. Uh, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Saganovich, uh, better known as Jerry Sags, the Nasty Boys, started here doing – uh, doing favors for the guys, uh, putting over guys, putting over the talent on a mid-card basis pretty consistently in the AWA. I believe that Sags actually refereed a couple of matches here, uh, you know, uh, high-level matches at the St. Paul Civic Center. But needless to say, I think it their career took a turn, an upswing. Uh, when they left the AWA area, they started to get some traction here. Before they left, they were starting to get established. But, of course, once they left, the sky was the limit, and these guys delivered.
2: They started in the AWA. They were trained by Brad Ringens, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. They started shortly after I started my career. They came around in about 1986. Uh, They quickly got elevated about, I would say, about a year, maybe 18 months later as the defections, shall we say, uh, the talent started leaving. And it's like, well, we need a tag team. So they got thrust, uh, young guys. They got thrust at a, in the AWA, I think, unlike any other tag team that I ever witnessed or was able to work with. And that's because, well, the, the, the talent pool was thin. They needed somebody. They had a decent gimmick and they went playing. One quick story about Jerry Saganovich. So you see on the pictures now, he doesn't have a front tooth. Well, the reason for that, he's working a match at the showboat in Vegas, and I remember being in the truck and seeing this. He's going to do a body splash on a guy into the turnbuckle. Uh, the guy moves. Jerry goes a little bit too far. He was supposed to you know, go into the ring post, but he got a little bit too friendly with the ring post and decided to try to French kiss it and lost his front tooth to the top of a steel ring post.
1: You know, I like the way you put that. You know, I tried to French kiss the steel ring post. And of course, we've referred to you, Chupik, many times as the third nasty boy. So I'm, you know, you're kind of an expert, you know, on, on pretty much everything that they did. But, uh, Knobs and Sags, boy, legendary, and if any two guys ever lived up to the gimmick, Mm -hmm. it was the Nasty Boys.
2: I can attest to that, and Rick, you are right. There were occasions where I was an honorary Nasty Boy, but it was all behind the scenes, and damn those two. I don't remember some of those nights, but I had fun.
0: Gonna say I I think we know somebody. I believe uh Karjanovich could uh be a seg- could be uh, an honorary nasty boy too.
1: Never you know what I mean. Never, nope. Okay, guys, right. pristine pristine is a new fall in snow that a dog just pissed on. <laughs> right. anyway.
0: Hey, how about uh Sergeant Jacques Goulet?
1: <sighs> One of my favorites, and and talk about a storied career. Got three levels to Sergeant Jacques Goulet. Really, he started out as a babyface Rene Goulet in the early 1960s in the AWA. Uh, came in in the 1970s as a heel. Uh, he was part of the tag team called the Legionnaires. Uh, did extensive work for Dick the Bruiser and uh, in the Chicago area. Had great success there. Feuded with the Crusher and Dick the Bruiser. When he came back in the 1980s, he feuded with a guy that came into the ring with a, with a boombox. And uh, this guy called Sergeant Jacques Pepe Le Pew uh, as a gimmick and threw a big stuffed skunk at him. Uh, but Rene Goulet, who passed away a few years ago, one of the most underrated ring generals. I'm telling you, this guy was the real deal. And sadly, towards the end of the run, again, you're in a mid-card program with this, uh, you know, rock and roll guy. Uh, Renee deserved main event status, and uh, he was a consummate professional,
2: no doubt. He definitely knew his way around the ring as well as on the microphone. Oh, yeah. Why he didn't get a bigger push here at the AWA? (coughs) Excuse me. Um, I, I don't know. It was before my time, but when he came back as a heel and when he was Peppy Le Pew, I loved that angle. I really did. That was like, and oftentimes if it wasn't the 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 first match, it would be the first or second match at the old St. Paul Civic Center. And it was good. It wasn't just a throw-in match. There was actually a gimmick or a storyline behind it. So very entertaining, Sergeant Jacques Goulet, Pepe Le Pew, RIP, my friend.
0: All right, let's uh, go to a couple more here before we wrap it up. Uh, This one, the last name synonymous with wrestling, but uh, let's go to uh, David Sammartino.
1: (laughs) David Sammartino, you talk about blips on the radar in the AWA. This is, again, in the pro wrestling USA days. When Vern was trying to bring in any guy with a name and uh, he brought in San Martino, unfortunately, it wasn't Bruno. Uh, it was David San Martino. David was one of those guys that just did not live up to the hype. Uh, you know, awfully big shoes to fill. Let's be honest about it. you're you know, you're coming in as Bruno San Martino's kid. Uh, David was a pretty decent hand in the ring. Uh, but unfortunately, outside of the East Coast, where his dad had established that uh, tremendous career, David just didn't quite make it here in the AWA. Joe, you know, you you recall him very well.
2: Yeah, I I think the the issue with David and uh, him not being able to get over here was he only had the name, Sam Martino. He He was a good worker in the ring, could not cut a promo, was not comfortable doing it, but... There, that 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 was it. He was David Sammartino, this very short, stocky guy, yep. and that was it. He was sort of a dime a dozen. If he wouldn't have had the Sammartino last name, I don't think he ever would have been here in the AWA. Just, just didn't quite have it, and sadly, I think. Um, uh, David's no longer with us uh, either, is he, Mick?
1: I do, I don't know. Uh, I know that he was pretty sick for a while. I saw some, uh, you know, uh, more updated pictures of him on the internet, and uh, he didn't look that good. But I, I'm not sure. I, I think he may still be around. But uh, <laughs> but th- th- you're right. There was something something with him. But again, in the you know, the annals of the AWA, in and out that uh, revolving door.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah, I, I do believe that uh, he, is, uh, he is still with us, fortunately.
2: So, <laughs> Not, um, my mistake. I, Thank you for still being with us, David. There you go. <laughs> and
0: uh, the, the the last one, I know someone that uh, you guys know, uh, Chris Markoff.
1: Chris Markoff. His last run in the AWA area, I believe he was kind of aligning himself with Boris Zukov And Chris would come out and, you know, uh, of course he would. Yeah, oh, God, look at him. Chris would come out and he would point to Boris's noggin. And, of course, he would say, look at the size of the man's head. (laughs) And that was kind of the the gist of the interview, putting over the size of the the melon of uh, Boris Zukov. But Chris Markov, an illustrious career in this business, Uh, started off in the AWA in the 1960s. Uh, He was the third Dolly sister with Larry Hennig and Harley Race feuded with the Crusher, Uh, came back in the 1970s into the 1980s. And and I always used to kid Chris. His interviews did not change one iota from the 60s to the 80s into the 90s, except for the fact that somewhere along the way, he moved from Yugoslavia to the Soviet Union. So that part of it changed. But Chris would come in every time, and his, his standard line, he would say, for every kick it, for every punch, I'm going to give you double. <laughs> well, God love him. Uh, Chris Markov made a lot of money in real estate here in the state of Minnesota. He lives in Florida during the winters. Imagine that. Comes up here in the summertime. And one guy I would love to get on this podcast.
2: I would love to as well. I have not seen him since my wedding, believe it or not. He was there. Because he was friends with my parents. Uh, they were part of the, the PNA in North, uh, Northeast Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And Chris and his wife would attend some of the meetings and the big events that they would have, the dances and so forth. And I remember meeting Chris before I was with the AWA and then saw him with the AWA. And then lo and behold, years later, he's at my wedding. Nice guy, great guy, um, you know, part, part of the, the whole Slavic region, and I uh, uh, have not seen him now in, in, shit, what's it been, about 24 years. I would love to get Chris on this podcast. The, the, the last time
1: I saw Chris, he was at a uh, Minnesota Hall of Fame induction for Stan Kowalski a handful of years ago, and Chris looks great. Hasn't changed a bit, and again, Chris would always come out and say, the Russians is coming. They are here. And I always wanted to say, make up your mind, Chris. Are they on the way or are they here? But God love Chris Markoff.
2: Yes.
0: All right. So uh, that will wrap up our mid-card guys of the 80s. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed the last couple of weeks kind of going down memory road and uh, remembering maybe some of the individuals that went a little bit under the radar. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe Chris Markoff is uh, is somebody that uh, that we can get on. Uh, next week, I know that is, – is it locked in that we're, we've are we got somebody who never worked in the AWA but is very familiar to wrestling fans and especially those in the Twin Cities?
1: I think we can say that. Should we err on the side of caution and just not mention his name but give him that bill up?
2: Yeah. yeah um, Whatever our, you're comfortable with. Card subject to change. All right. Card subject to change,
1: but right now – We've got him locked in, Barry Darcel.
2: Looking forward to that one. Pressure, yeah. pressure,
1: You got it. Smash, smash.
0: Blacktop Black bully, repo man. man. Oh my god, he's gonna hear this and be like, "Fuck it, I don't want to go on." All right. We got some shout outs. Yes, we do. Uh, let's go ahead and (laughs) get some uh, shout outs and then, uh, take care of some business again. And then we'll, uh, we'll take her home. So, uh, Mick, I believe uh, you are first up here.
1: Andy Hammerlake. God love Andy. Uh, one of the great wrestling fans and collectors. He has a collection that I am going to sneak in to his home, to his palatial estate some night, and he will wake up in the morning and his collection will be half gone. Uh, but Andy is such a great and loyal fan, AWA fan, podcast fan, Unleashed fan. Shout-out to Andy.
2: All right. So My, shout out, yes, Joe, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to take it over. My shout-out this week is actually part of a pre- couple previous shout-outs that I had done. Uh, this guy uh, – and and I added him in this week because his friends – Call him Sarge, after Sergeant Jacques Goulet. So I thought it was a perfect opportunity to give my shout out to a longtime AWA wrestling fanatic, Todd Peterson of Inver Grove Heights. And uh,
0: I'm gonna go to uh, Chicago Land with mine and uh, John Larocca. Uh, hopefully I said your name there uh, correctly, John. If not, I apologize. You can let me know. Uh, he uh, DMs me on Twitter. Just tells me how much he loves the show and uh, kind of tells me about it from uh, you know his memories from uh, out in Illinois. So uh, John, appreciate the uh, the support from out there. And I uh, I think that's it. Want to thank uh, Soda Stick for being the official merchandise partner. Uh, if you want to go to their website, sodastickco.com. To get a hoodie, the uh, window's opened. Uh, you can get your personalized gimmick in there. Uh, if you want to get a t-shirt, you can order it. Or uh, perhaps you would like to get it when the lights are a little lower. Uh, uh, you can also um, go to 7th Avenue Pizza as well. Because they're the official pizza sponsor of the, uh, of the podcast. And if you want some pizza as well, uh, we will have an opportunity as well. If you want to eat some pizza with us after dark. Um, at the end of April, but, uh, we will give you more details on, yeah, I'm, I, I'm basically putting it out there and kind of forcing our hand, but people know, I think hopefully people know, but, uh, we do have some big things coming up.
1: It's going to be good. It is going to be good. And by the way, speaking of your friend, Sarge, Jubek, I know that you also have a friend, Sarge, but unfortunately you visit him at the precinct, you know, several times, you know, with your hands up and saying, I didn't do it, but that's, uh. <laughs>
2: I just got to get an occasional frisking. I mean, what's wrong with that?
0: <laughs>